We've been in a series called uh, Fan or Follower. We've been letting you and the Spirit of God work in you to decide where you stand on that, on that definition. We've been trying to define it clearer and clearer every week by, by st- making statements like, you might be a fan if, and then fill in the blanks. We've had each one of those. I have one more this, this week at the very end of the message I'll, I'll share with you. But uh, the point being is that we have been in this journey for now several weeks. But actually, this is not a, a several-week journey and then we go on. In fact, we led into this series by a challenge at the first of the year. And some of y'all know about that challenge. You were part of that challenge. We had 755 people take a 40-day challenge to be in the Word, read the Word, just one chapter a day. Here, it's a pretty, pretty clear challenge. Read one chapter a day, record one truth a day, in which God is asking you to change your life. And then the most critical part is to adjust your life, number three, according to that one truth. And for 40 days, the challenge was out there. I talked to a lot of you during that. Talked to somebody at the last service that actually had, had been quite successful with it. They'd only missed two days, and they're continuing it on well past the 40 days, which is what we're wanting, what we're looking for. Others felt immediately the first week, and I just say, get yourself up, dust yourself off, get back into it. But we took a survey five months ago asking you, asking everyone that was here on that day, a live survey, whether or not how many of y'all or how often you read the Word. There's the question. How often do you read the Bible? All right? Just this clear, simple thing. We even gave you days. And this is what the survey said five months ago, okay? So of our congregation five months ago, uh, seven days a week, 11%, five days a week uh, would be 20%. So... You know, 31% are saying I'm in the Word very regularly, which I would hope that most of us would be up in there. But hey, listen, we're not there yet. That's okay. We're a work in progress, aren't we? And so, but being in the Word is important. Now, we went on down through that list, and we even gave you a free day, all right? If you're here in church on Sunday, and you read the verses on the screen, then we're going to call that one day. And there was uh, a good number of you, that, that was all you did, was reading on maybe Sunday morning whenever you're in here. And I get that. And we're, again, we're building from that. But even there were 20% in the room that don't even read when I put a verse on the screen. Now, I don't know if they're on Facebook during that time or what you're doing, but I can't make it any more simple than that than putting the verse in front of your face and making you eat it. All right, so think about it. Uh, but that, that, was, that was five months ago. So we are now removed several months from that, gone through that challenge. The challenge has faded away, if you will. But how are we doing today? Five months later, we took this, we took a survey in the first service. We want you to add to the survey. So get your phones out and you can help complete this. So text 22333 and then put in your number. Don't, don't inflate yourself. All right. Don't do a halo effect and answer it according to what you wish you were doing. But what are you doing today? All right. How often are you in the Word? If you're in the Word seven days, it's 24. 5134. That's what you'll text in that text blanket there. But you're going to text it to 22333. And again, there's still 3% out there that aren't even reading it whenever I'm reading it. So you fill in that. The answer or the, the questions or the numbers are there in the page. Uh, or if you got your notes when you came in today, then you can continue to complete that survey. And we'll continue to look at this in the months ahead. But I am pleased to see that more people are in the Word more and more and more often as we go along here. So you can, can continue. Because this does tie together today. When we're talking about being a fan or a follower, whether or not you're following Christ has a lot to do about whether or not you're in the Word. 
whether you're not recording that one truth a day, whether or not you're adjusting your life to that. And I'm not making this up on my own. This is what the Scripture says in John 8, 31. Jesus said, who did he say it to? The people who believed in him. So we're not talking the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the critics out there. We're talking to those who called themselves followers, self-declared followers. He said, listen, if you're going to declare yourself a follower, you've got to truly be my disciple. You're going to have to remain in my teachings. You're going to have to listen to my precepts. You're going to have to obey my commandments. You're going to have to hear what I have to say in my word. It's vitally important. The New American Standard says it like this. If you continue in my word, then you are truly, truly asked to test disciples of mine. So I hope you're in the word. I hope if you're not, you'll get in the word. Start today. Lori's going to give a challenge at the end, but you be thinking about that. And speaking of this week, this is a great week to make that new uh, change in your life. As we look at this, the most holy week of, of the calendar it is a huge week leading up to Easter. And we're going to say on Friday night that we're going to have a service that will hope set the tone for the entire weekend. It doesn't start off good if you know Good Friday. It's not a pretty picture. But we're going to have a, a solemn assembly. We're going to have communion. We're going to have a time together on Friday night at 630. Uh, and I encourage you to come. Bring, bring your youth. We're going to have preschool classes just, I think, through uh, three years old. I don't even remember. Look online, okay? It's, we're going we're to have some preschool classes. But grade school and above, they will be in here with us. It's only one service at 630. So really... Be preparing yourself. And then next Sunday, we're actually going to go from two services to three services just next Sunday. And time change. So pay attention to this. 8 o'clock first service and 9.30 the second service and then 11 o'clock for the last service. So here you are, 10.45 service. If you're always late to this service, just remember 10.45. All right? Just come at your normal time. And you'll be here on time next week, okay? 11 o'clock is when we'll have our third gathering next week. Take your Bibles. Be finding Matthew chapter 26 is where we're going to be today. We're going to look at about survey. We're not going to read 70-something verses that make up this chapter. Uh, and we're not going to uh, be able to have time for that. But we're going to do a survey of chapter Matthew chapter 26. And we are jumping in midway through the last week of Christ's life. So we are, if you look at it from a timeline, we're in the last week. As we talk about Palm Sunday, Passover week, Good Friday, all Easter, that's the last week leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. We are in that. And we're going to be there in context as well of this scripture. But when you look at the Gospels, this week is so important. Of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 27 chapters of the Gospels are given to one week in the life of Christ. That's how important this week is. That's how critical this date is and what we're talking about right here. And in this, in this story, as we talk about fan or follower, we're going to find that there's a difficulty, great difficulty, in being a fan today and knowing that you're going to, excuse me, being a follower today and trusting that you'll be a follower tomorrow. Because you can, you can mess it up. In fact, if you look at Jesus in that last few hours before his own crucifixion. What did he say about all of his disciples? He made a bold statement that I'm sure dropped their jaws. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31 says, you will all fall away because of me this night. 
all of you are going to fall away. Hold it. What's this, man? You're my followers. You're my peeps. You're my buds. You're with me. You're, 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 we're, we're together. We've been together for three years. And now you're saying, I'm going to fall away. No way. That's what Peter did. Now, I'm not going to fall away. There's no way I'm going to fall. He says, every last one of you is going to fall. So here's the reality. We talk about fan or fall. Here's the reality. If you're a follower today, here's the reality. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. You're going to fail at being a follower. I'm going to fail at being a follower. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fall on my face. I'm going to embarrass my, my faith, my family. I'm going to embarrass myself from time to time in my whole confession of Christ. I am going to fail at being a follower. So what do you do with it? How do you fall well? How do you fail well? How do I fail in such a way that I can get back up and move on? You've heard of people who sometimes they they fall and they get hurt, they break an arm, and they just fell on it wrong. But had they rolled, had they fell on it right, they might not have hurt themselves. So we're going to learn today about how to fall, how to fail well, because we're just like all of his disciples. We're going to fail. We're going to fall. We're going to stop. Let's look at a couple of them. We're going to profile two of them. Now, we're going to know one of them right off the bat. You know this guy, Judas. Judas Iscariot. I mean, his name, when you hear it, you know betrayer. This is the apostate. This is the one who the Satan enters into. You, we get all that picture. We know that. Let's move away from those prejudices. Let's move away from those, what we already know about him. What we know about Judas before he fell. He was man, he's, uh, his dad was named Simon. And Simon grew up on the east side of the Jordan River in a place called Keroth. An old Moab city, an old ancient city of old. And he grew up on this side near the Jordan, uh, near even the, the country of Jordan as we know it to, today. And he grew up over there and he becomes this follower of Jesus. Now let me just say this to you. He was, he was trusted. He was believed in. He had position. He had authority among the twelve. We know from the Gospels that he was the money keeper. He was the treasurer to be the treasurer. I mean, they didn't give it to Matthew. Matthew was the old tax collector who used to rob for a living from people. They wouldn't dare give it to Matthew, but they give it to Judas. They trusted Judas over Matthew, yet Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. So we have a man who was in there, who was trusted, who was believed in, who had a lot going for him, who was believed in by Jesus, even though Jesus knew he was going to betray him from the beginning. But hey, when you're Jesus, you know everything. He still believed in him. He still allowed him to become one of his. In fact, we even get the phrase today, the kiss of death. That comes back to Judas Iscariot because we will know and we'll read in a moment where Judas gave Jesus the kiss that would lead to his death. So let's go back and we'll just think about that. But just remember Judas. We'll talk a lot about him today. Let's talk about another guy named Simon. Simon Barjona or Peter as we know him more. But his first name, his birth name, the name given to him by his father, his name given to him by his father, who was named Jonah, was Simon. Simon Bar-Jonah is his name. And the, 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 the Hebrew, the way they would, they would do that is Bar means son, son of Jonah. So here is Simon, the son of Jonah. And he grew up on the Sea of Galilee. He grew up as a fisherman. He had a younger brother named Andrew. Andrew was actually the most influential person in bringing Peter to Jesus. Andrew was also one of his disciples. Peter was one of his disciples. And Andrew, the younger brother, brought Peter to Jesus. And you can read that in John chapter 1. When you think about Peter, what else do you know about Peter? Now, I don't have any biblical reference for this. Just historians have believed that, that Peter's father died when he was young. 
And, I, and again, I'm just telling you the research that I did this week. I, I, I can't give you chapter and verse, but maybe he grew up as the, uh, the oldest brother in a home, as a fisherman. And what do you get when you have firstborn children? All right. Anybody firstborn in this home? In, in the room? Okay. Raise your hand if you're firstborn. Okay. Good. You rule the roost, right? Among your siblings. All right. You know it. Cause I had a firstborn, uh, brother right there. And so, and, and he, he kind of ruled. Until he moved out and then I ruled. And so, you know, when you're first born, you kind of rule and, and you kind of control. Well, Simon had that kind of personality. You could totally see Simon as being the firstborn son. He's always opening up his mouth. That's why we have him with his mouth open there. He's always talking. He's always stepping up. He's always being a leader. We don't think of Simon, Peter, as being a person who failed him. But hey, he didn't fail him once. He didn't fail him twice. And one time Jesus even called him Satan. He fails him three times in one story, in one bit of the story. We only think of Judas as the great betrayer, but Peter was the great denier. What do you do? What do you do? What do, you, what do I do when I fail as a follower? What do they do? Let's understand this in kind of a, 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 a in kind of how to fall in a proper way, and let's understand this in, in light of that. The first word I want you to understand in these turns of falling is the word rebellion. We all need to understand that, that we are rebels at heart. We have a little rebellious spirit about us. It's, uh, it's, uh, it, we kind of tame it down a little bit. We kind of try to domesticate it. But really, at the end of the day, we're rebels. We don't want to be followers. We like being fans because we don't want to be told what to do. That's the rebel in us. Theologians call it the fallen nature. We deal with it the rest of our lives. We'll always deal with it. Peter had to deal with it. Judas had to deal with it. Let's look at each one of these again in snapshot form. Matthew 26, let's look first of all at Judas. When you look at Judas, you see somebody here who was an intentional, he was intentional about his, his falling. Okay, but, but, but when you think about it as well, in this whole rebellion, we are all called to follow. But in this rebellion, you see this intentional nature inside of Peter, that where, or excuse me, inside of Jesus where he betrays him. Let's look at Matthew 26. It'll make sense. 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. Oh, those are the enemies of Jesus, right? Yeah, we know the story. And he said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they said, and they, and they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Pretty good pay. All right, I'll just leave it at that. And from that moment, I want you to see this next phrase. I want you to underscore it. He sought an opportunity to betray him. Underscore the phrase, he sought an opportunity. Circle the phrase, highlight the phrase, write out the phrase, he sought an opportunity. There was an intentionality about his betrayal. He was looking for the opportunity to betray Jesus. That is what Judas was doing. We seek sometimes in our state of rebellious heart, we seek opportunities. Hey, I will never betray Jesus. I will never seek. I'll never be like Judas. But yet, because of the rebellion in us, the reality is we will. We will. We will, we will intentionally go after certain sins, certain things, because it bubbles up inside of us. It's deep inside of us. It's not on the outside influencing us. It's inside of us coming out of us. Mark chapter 7, verse 20 and 23 says, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out, out of a person's heart, the evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, that's from within. 
Murder, theft, that's from within. Adultery, that's from within. Greed, that's from within. Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. I need to worry about, you need to worry about our own hearts. That's where rebellion starts. And all of a sudden inside of us, we are intentionally looking for opportunities to sin. Looking for those opportunities that are unchecked. If you remember back in 2013 or 20, uh, 2014 in January, I did a series called Stuck and I had a big pyramid up here. If you were here doing that series and I put four, three things on that pyramid and each of those lines are very critical to, to, to whether or not you're going to be stuck in sin. One of those lines was opportunity. When opportunity knocks, some of us jump right through it. We'll even go looking for those opportunities. An unguarded computer can become an opportunity for me to go and look at things I don't need to look at. An unguarded, flirtatious relationship can end up me looking for an opportunity to capitalize on that relationship in an unhealthy manner. An unchecked accounting system where I see loopholes and I'm a, I see opportunity for me to skim a little bit more off and nobody will even notice it, it's an opportunity. Judas looked for an opportunity. We look for opportunities to sin and we do that. So go down to chapter 26 again. Stay there. Let's look at verse 47. And while he was still speaking to Judas, he came to one of the twelve and with him the great crowd and the swords and clubs and the chief priests and the elders of the people. This is when it's all coming down right here. And now the betrayer, now no longer is he called Judas, he's now called the betrayer. The betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one that I will kiss is the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus once and said, greetings, Rabbi. Rabbi, by, by the way, this is not sarcasm. I do not believe in any way that Judas is being sarcastic here. He greets him with respect. He comes up, he kisses him. And notice the response of Jesus. Friend. Friend. Do what you came to do. I don't want you to miss those words. I don't want you to miss the kiss. And I don't want you to miss the response of Jesus. Friend. No sarcasm. No sarcasm at all. Here he is, Judas. He loves, I I believe with all my heart, he loves Jesus. But the problem is, he loves money more. He's a fan of Jesus. But what did I say a few weeks ago? If you love anything more than you love Jesus, you're a fan and not a follower. He loved Jesus. He kissed Jesus. He respected Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He took care of Jesus. He made sure there was money in the pot for Jesus to take care of things that needed to be taken care of. But when it came to what he loved more, he loved money more than he loved Jesus. What a sad tale that is. But I can't tell you the number of times that I've talked to somebody in my office for the past 25 years in ministry of an adulterous relationship that's happened. I remember my very first encounter with that. I was 23 years old. Somebody came to me, my very first pastor as a church, and I can remember this, this man was heartbroken. He had had this adulterous relationship. It was a one-time thing. It was all it was, just one-time thing. Never going to happen again, and he was broken over it. Why was he broken? He was broken 
because he really loved his wife. But he was more in love with the infatuation of somebody else. You get what I'm saying? Judas loved Jesus. He kissed Jesus. He respected Jesus. But, 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 he loved money more than he loved Jesus. It's a sad tale what unfolds there. Let's look at Peter. Peter was a little bit more unintentional. He was a little bit more caught off guard. But I think that happens with most of Christians out there. Most, most believers, they don't, they don't go out looking for it. It kind of comes to them. It kind of catches them off guard. It's because of their arrogance. It's because of their confidence. It's because of their self-reliance. And you look at the passage and you see in here in, in chapter 20, uh, 26, verse 40 uh, and following. It says, He came to His disciples and He found them sleeping. Now, this is when they were supposed to be praying. They were sleeping. Found them sleeping and He said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray. Now, listen to this next statement. That you may not enter into temptation because Jesus had already read something into Peter's heart. He already knew something about Peter's heart. Peter was a rebel at his heart. He said, your spirit is willing. But here's the problem, Peter. Your flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. And every one of us in this room is the same thing as Peter dealt with. We really, 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 really want to do what's right. We really, really, really want to follow Jesus. We really, But our flesh is weak. And it takes over. And it controls and it takes us down. And just when you think you've got it whipped, you are whipped. Because when you go on to chapter, the uh, same, same chapter down in verse, uh, uh, chapter 26, verse uh, 46, or excuse me, uh, verse 69. 69, it says, And Peter was sitting outside, this is when he actually denies Jesus, the courtyard, and a servant girl, notice this, a servant girl came up to him and said, You are with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went outside of the entrance, another servant girl. Now, I'm emphasizing the service girl. This is not some powerful Roman soldier who has a sword at Peter's throat. This is an unnamed, insignificant little servant girl who calls out Peter, and his faith is so weak, he can't even stand up to a servant girl. You will fail when you follow. What are you going to do? He absolutely, he denies him three times. And just when you think you're standing, that's when you need to be on your toes. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because see, the reality is we've all sinned. Romans tells us we've all sinned. And we all will fall short of the glory of God. We will constantly be battling this fallen, rebellious heart that we have to deal with. And what are we going to deal with? How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to I'm going to start a series of messages after Easter called mistakes, just mistakes. And we're going to just talk about how to get past some big, hairy mistakes that get in our way, that cause us to stumble. We'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. Let's talk about the second turn in the fall, which is remorse. You make that next turn and you fall down and you think, oh man, can't believe it. You see it in, in both of these characters because see, realize sin will always cost you more than you want to pay, take you further than you want to go, and, and leave you longer than you want to stay, and it will never, ever pay you what it promises. Never. 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 Moses knew this. 
That's why he would rather, as it says in Hebrews, suffer affliction, go through pain and suffering, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Sin is fun. Listen, it's a blast. It's a party for a while. Until you crash and burn, and that's exactly what Judas did. I don't want you to miss what happened to Judas in chapter 27. Verse 3, again, we're covering a lot of real estate today. There's 75 verses in chapter 20, uh, 26. We just skipped over a bunch of them. I know it, but you know a lot of the story. So let's go on. What happens with Judas when the remorse sets in? The remorse sets in and all of a sudden shame and nastiness fills over us. What happens in verse 3? And when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned... Read the next words with me. He changed his mind. Oh, man. Here, here's your money back. Give me Jesus back. I, I, did, I didn't mean to. I, I didn't realize it was going to feel like this. I didn't realize it was going to hurt like this. I didn't realize I was going to feel the shame and remorse like this. No, no, no. This silver ain't worth it. You can have it back. Change his mind. And whenever, and that's the reality, buyer beware. This is buyer's remorse that he goes through. I cannot believe I did it. I wish I could, I wish I could undo it. Here's the problem with sin. Listen, listen, listen. Problem with sin? You can't undo it. You've done it. It's there. You, you, can't, you can sweep it under the rug. You can try to run from it. We'll talk about that in, in, in a moment. But what what, what, what would Peter do? How was Peter's response to these three denials back to back to back? You'd think he'd do it once and learn. Then you'd do it twice and he'd really learn by then. Three different times in one night? No, he doesn't. Cock crows and all of a sudden he faces the reality of his own failure. Look at verse 75. Chapter 26, verse 75. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows... You will deny me three times. And what was Peter's response? And he went out and he wept bitterly. How, how did he weep? Bitterly. Was it a sad cry? Was it a, was it a mourning cry? Was it, oh, I'll never see Jesus again cry, sad, I miss Jesus? No, it was a cry, it was a weeping, a bitterness he was dealing with the anger of his own soul. Of his he was dealing with the guilt of his own life. He was angry at himself. He was beating himself. He was hitting himself. He was pulling his own hair. He was, I can't believe I've done it. I did what I said I wouldn't do. He was dealing with the shame. And every time we fall, there's going to be that rebel that leads to remorse inside of us. And we're going to regret it. And how are we going to recover from it? Patrick Carnes in his book, Out of the Shadows, talks about sexual addiction. He talks about the reality and the cycles that people go through when they're in a sexual addict role and how despair is one of those of the cycle. You can talk about an alcoholic and they will have despair as a part of that the cycle. The reality, I did it again. I cannot believe it. It's exactly what Peter was going through. Number three. The third is redemption, finding hope through guilt and shame. Let's talk about guilt for a moment. I want you, I want you to hear what I'm saying because you can push back on it if you want to, but I'm going to push back again, okay? Guilt is your friend. 
Guilt is an emotion that you have whenever you've done something wrong. It, it calls you out. It, it points out an attitude. It points out a, a thought. It points out a way, a broken promise. It points it out to you. And it says, this is not right. You need to fix it. Or you need to get this fixed. Guilt is good. Even David, whenever he committed his sin with Bathsheba and how Uriah died, he lived for a year as a king thinking he could conquer the guilt and the shame that was on him. He tried to, he tried to, he tried to. Finally, Psalm 32 comes along when he breaks and he writes this beautiful verse. I've prayed this so many times in my own broken, fallen, remorseful states. Then I acknowledged my sin. Great, much better than hiding it. I acknowledged my sin and did not cover it, uh, cover up my iniquity. I said to the Lord, I confess my transgressions. And I love that last phrase. Read it with me. And he forgave the guilt of my sin. He forgave the guilt. The guilt. Guilt's good. Guilt is your friend. The second word I want to point out is shame. Shame is not your friend. Shame is an identity that is given to you because of a wrong that you've done or has happened to you. Shame is something you carry with you in life. Judas becomes the betrayer. He becomes known as the betrayer. You don't want that identity mark on you. You shouldn't carry that identity. Judas goes to the grave as the betrayer. He carries that. So what what we're going to see here is we're going to see two totally different responses and how they're going to deal with their own shame and remorse and and how they're going to fight through that and how they're going to find redemption through this. And I can tell you right now, Judas doesn't. He rejects it. You, you look with me again in, uh, in chapter 27, verse 4 and following. He says, I have sinned by betraying the innocent blood. Who's he talking to? It sounds like a confession to me. He's talking to the priest. He's not talking to Jesus. He's talking to the priest. I've sinned. I, I've done something wrong here. This is not right. He knows what he did is wrong. He said, they said, what is it to us? We don't care. Get out of our face. We've got other things to take care of. They didn't lead him to the throne. They didn't lead him to grace. They didn't, nothing at all. And the sad part about it, and he departed and he went out and he hanged himself. He departed and he went out and he hanged himself. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. If you deal with your sin by yourself, you will carry shame all your life. You will never be able to conquer it. If there's not an intervention of God Himself in your life, let's look at Peter. He's looking at Peter. Look at Judas. Now let's look at Peter. How does this happen? Go over to John chapter 21 with me. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm not making light on Peter. I'm, not, I'm, I'm being as hard on Peter as I am on Judas. I want to point out that Peter is not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, or Luke anymore after he falls, after he denies him. He is off the stage, all right? He moves off the stage and who moves on? This, this thing happens in this conversation in John. John's gospel is the only one that records this conversation between the two. And look at it. In verse 15, and they finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. You know I love you. You just hear this intimate conversation. He said to him, feed my sheep. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. You know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 17, verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, 
Simon, son, son of John, do you love me? What is Jesus hard of hearing or something? Ask him once, tells him that, gives him the same answer, ask him twice, tells him that, three different times. He says, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Also notice that Peter grieved. Peter grieved. Here's, here's what I, I, this is an entire message right here. How many times did Peter deny him? Three. How many times did Jesus ask him, do you love me? Three. For every time that Peter failed him, Jesus redeemed him. It doesn't matter how many times you failed Jesus, Jesus will redeem you from your brokenness. He will help put your life back together again. If you do it like Judas, you do it on your own. You pull yourself up on your own bootstraps. You say, I've sinned. I've done something wrong. You do it your own way because you're a self-made man or woman. You will end up with shame and carry that to your grave. You do it and you involve Jesus in the redemption conversation and process and beautiful things can happen. I don't want you to skip verse 19. Verse 19 may, may be the most beautiful of all the verses. After this redeeming moment, conversation with Peter and Jesus, what happens? Jesus turns around and he says to Peter, follow me. The very first time, back in John chapter 1, when Peter and Andrew and Nathan and all those guys were being called, what were they being called to? They were being called to follow him. And now we find after even in verse, after all this failure and all this mess and all this shame and all this guilt, what is Jesus doing? He's still saying, follow me. He's still saying, I want you to follow me. I know your past. You've even failed me. And I want you to follow me. But he had to go through remorse. He had to go through guilt. He had to go through shame. He had to go through all that. And he had to find redemption through Jesus Christ. If you're in this room today and you're getting baptized or you're baptizing, please go out right now through that door. And I want to give one more point, one more turn in this whole, in this whole cycle. Because when you look at this and you see uh, what happens in, 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 in Judas, Judas takes one direction. He goes into rejection. He rejects grace. He goes in one direction. But Peter goes in another direction into rebuilding his life, into redeeming that brokenness, into redeeming that fallenness. And he does it because he involves Jesus in it. If you do not involve Jesus in the redemptive story of your life, you will only, only, only fail. Because you aren't good enough and I'm not good enough to fix the wrong of my life. And we're about to see some people get baptized and every one of them, listen, I'm going to say it again and again and again, they're going to fail at following Jesus. But because Jesus is a part of their story, is a part of their narrative, is a part of their life, they can find that redemption and hope again, which leads me to the fourth and final turn, which is restoration. You mean God can use me after I've fallen? I thought I'd get put on the shelf. I thought I'd get put as a second-handed Thing. I thought, I thought God would never use me again. He could never use me again because I have failed Him. I've heard that so many times. And the reality is He can use you. In fact, He will use you in spite of yourself. I put this out on social media this past week just as a thought. Here's a life principle for you. Your past should shape you but not define you. 
we all have a broken rap sheet. Let it shape you. Let it morph you. Let it change you. Let it work on you. Deal with the guilt. Get rid of the shame. Walk in freedom. Learn from it. Don't waste the pain. Take the pain that you've experienced and transfer that into a lesson, into a life lesson, whatever it may be. Do that. Don't waste it. Let it shape you, but don't let it define you. Don't let it define you. I love this passage. Whenever I came across this verse, Luke 22, verse 31, I've read a lot of different verses from a lot of different gospels today, but I love this because this is before Peter ever denied Jesus. He says, hey, by the way, you're going to fall, you're going to stumble, you're going you're to deny me when you turn back. Strengthen your brother. He had a mission for Peter. He had a plan for Peter. He had a future for Peter. He had a hope for Peter. He had beauty for Peter. He had a life for Peter. He had a, he had a hope for Peter. I, when you come back, when you turn back, then I want you to help strengthen then I know you've fallen well and you've gotten up and by the grace of God who's picked you up and you are moving forward again because you're strengthening the brothers that are around you. You could be a fan. You could be a fan. If you are the answer to your own redemption and restoration. If Jesus is a part of your redemption and restoration, you're a follower. But if you are your own answer, no. No. We all need Jesus at that intersection of guilt. Guilt is your friend to bring you to a deeper relationship with Jesus in freedom and redemption and restoration. Would you pray with me? As we pray, I realize everyone in this room has a story, has a broken part of their life, an imperfection in their life, something that's not right. The way that will be made right is not you fixing you, you determining you're going to conquer this vice, this brokenness. It will be when Jesus becomes a part of this story. Remember, it was Jesus and Peter having an intimate conversation after breakfast when he said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Redeeming him for every time he was broken, for every time he denied Christ. Father God, you know this room and you know the hearts and the brokenness of this room. And every one of us is going to fail at following you. But, oh, God, thank you, Jesus, that you're still calling us. You're still beckoning us to follow you, to follow you. These children, these adults that will be baptized here just now, Lord, will fail at following you. But, dear Jesus, thank you that you're still calling them to follow you. Continue to do your work in us, Lord, even this day. In Jesus' name, amen.